What's going on, everybody? Welcome to Two Guys in a Fight, the podcast where two guys square off about all things MMA. My name is PJ with my man Brent. What's up? So we're changing our intro again. <laughs> yeah, I'm just... <laughs> <laughs> Because, like, uh, what did I say last time? Two, Two guys, guys shooting shoot the, the shit, shit about MMA? Yeah. Not feeling it? It doesn't. I don't care. It means the same thing. I guess I'm going to have to change our uh, SoundCloud description again. Oh, did <laughs> <laughs> My bad. You're good. Well, we, d- we, we do both, but it's too much to say up front. That's that we- true. Yeah. I, I like that. I like that. Two yeah. guys, Two okay. guys right. squaring off about all things MMA. All right. I'm so, glad that at episode 34, we figured out our tagline. Finally. <laughs> you know, we, we had the same one for how many episodes? I think we started at like episode seven and then went up to episode 32. So we were consistent for a bit. With what? The, the two. Um, where the casual fan and yeah, the casual hardcore fan. Hardcore fan. Um, we were consistent for a while and then we switched over to shoot the shit for like two episodes and we're here. So. Shoot the shit's a little too aggressive. It is a little aggressive, and that's um, explicit in the description as well, so I can cut that out. This is a family podcast. No, it's not. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We are covering uh, UFC's fight night uh, in celebration of 25 year or the UFC's 25th year anniversary. It was headlined by uh, Chan Chan. Jesus Christ. Chan Sung Jung. Chan Sung Jung, a.k.a. Korean Zombie, and Yair Rodriguez. Jesus Christ, I can't talk yet. It's okay. I just um, imagine when you said we were a family-friendly podcast, like two ordinary, you know, like a husband and wife getting their kids together <laughs> to watch the fights, like all this blood and shit, like the, their four and five-year-old child. What? Let's watch his head get kicked off and then come listen to our podcast after. Hell yeah, dude. I am sure yeah. we have fans just like that. Okay. <laughs> Um. Yeah. What? What a crazy fucking fight. I mean, you want to dive right into the main event? Yeah. Well, just the whole card in general. At first, I mean, this was, of course, the UFC's 25th anniversary show, um, which aired on FS1. And um, I mean, the whole main card, top to bottom, was pretty damn good. There were a couple okay fights in the middle that I thought could have been a little better overall. But the main event. The co-main event, the first, uh, the second fight on the main card, and some of that undercard was really good as well. But I mean, the the main event, you know what it reminded me of, and I'm not sure if you were paying attention to the sport at this point. It was the WEC's last card, and I think it was like WEC 51 or something like that. It was headlined by Anthony Pettis and Ben Henderson. That's the one where Anthony Pettis oh, threw yeah. the Showtime well, I've kick. I've seen that. Yeah. yeah, and it just reminded me of that. It was like this insane card that was capped off by this. I mean, just an amazing main event main event fight. No title was on the line here, but and there was in crazy shit going back and forth between these two. And then it was capped off with one second remaining by one of the most insane knockouts we've seen in the history of mixed martial arts. Yeah. I mean, where does that fight, that single fight, uh, Korean Zombie versus Yair Rodriguez, um, that's going to be all episode. It's okay. Where does that rank for you personally in like your favorite fights that you've seen or best fights that you've ever seen? I mean, we're all subject to recency bias, so I don't want to say, oh, that was the best one I've ever seen. I don't want to say that because I've, that's discounting so many fights yeah. off that I don't have on the top of my head. Right. But I would say it's got to be close to top 10. All, yeah. I'm going to be honest. Like That fight was utterly insane back and forth. It didn't have like the, the factor of both guys getting 
tremendously hurt and rocked but the the technique the 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 defense that was or wasn't there throughout the fight the fact that both guys were landing really powerful strikes the whole fight and it was just back and forth it was constant action the whole fight and it was capped off the way it was in a, a, a way where Chan Sung Jung would have taken the decision and he decided to go out on a limb in those last few seconds and try to land some huge shot to please the fans. And, yeah. you know, they sort of did the Max Holloway, Ricardo Lamas thing at the end with 10 <laughs> seconds left. They both, he put this, uh, Yair Rodriguez put his hands up and, you know, put his, uh, you know, pointed down towards the canvas and Chan Sung Jung was like, all right, let's do this. And they both just went crazy in those last few seconds and it did not pay off for Chan Sung Jung. But overall, I just, I would I mean, this has to be one of the best fights of the year. Yeah. It has to be. I can't think of another fight that was better than this. All, once again, off the top of my head for this year. Yeah. So you, I hadn't watched the fight live. I've passed out. <laughs> so I had to watch it the next day. And before I watched it, you and I talked. And you were like, oh, yeah, you know, Korean Zombie was winning up until the last round. Or, well, the last 20 seconds. The last second. Yeah. And then, because I had already seen the spoiler on the Reddit, the MMA subreddit. Uh, so I knew what happened. I just wanted to watch the fight to get the context for it. Um, I didn't see it as decisive as as you did i don't think uh, here's my thing i it wasn't even decisive for me i was just going in regards to the actual judges scorecards because oh okay. i saw the scorecards okay. afterwards they were released on uh, social media and whatnot me personally i didn't think the fight technically he would have won if it went to decision yeah yes I got you. in my opinion i thought the fight could have gone either way yeah. i thought it probably would have gone to jung just because he was a little more consistent with landing those hard shots you know he was really successful with his boxing yeah and i think he landed cleaner shots throughout the fight while yair landed a lot of hard strikes they were here and there and Yair was landing some good leg kicks and whatnot, but I thought that the, as the fight was going, Yair was fading a little bit too, and I thought that might have had to do um, with the as a deciding factor for the judges. But I didn't think it was nearly as decisive as the way the judges had it scored. And yeah, a, a lot of MMA personnel online were saying as well that they believed that Chan Sung Jung was clearly winning that fight, had it in the bag. I don't think he had it in the bag. No, here's my evidence too. I'm on UFC's website, and if you look at the stats, uh, Korean Zombie, 130 landed strikes to Rodriguez's 129. So a strike difference. And then as far as significant strikes go, Korean Zombie, 126, Rodriguez, 119. So literally an identical fight. The fight went to the ground for a minute total (laughs) of the whole, you know what I mean? The whole... I don't even remember it hitting the ground. Yeah, I wonder. I, well, I know that you remember there was that takedown and Ro- Rodriguez like, like um, jujitsu uh, transitioned, like rolled out of it. Do you remember that? I actually don't. Okay. Be, it might have been just because it was. The, I don't this fight think was Aaron really late that yeah. night. And I might have just missed that part. I, yeah, might, might have zoned out. Who the hell knows? But yeah, I, it was a really close fight, and I thought it was watching it. I thought it really could have gone either way. It just depends on how you perceive the fight. In my opinion, discounting the knockout, I would have actually leaned more sore towards Rodriguez. I thought he won the first two rounds. Yeah, I definitely think he won the first two. I remember saying that, yeah. I thought Korean Zombie won the second two rounds. I mean, excuse me, uh, the the third and the fourth round. And then I thought that fifth round, I thought Yair was doing a little bit more, if I'm going to be honest. And then, of course, the knockout came. But 
I did not think it was decisive as the judges thought. They had, I think one judge had Korean Zombie winning both the first and second round, Yair the third round, and then Korean Zombie the fourth. So two of the three judges had three rounds to to one for Korean Zombie going in that fifth round, and only one judge had it two rounds each. So I I find that very questionable. I thought thought it could have gone either way, and I just didn't think it was nearly as decisive as the judges thought. Yeah, but the fight itself. So Yair Rodriguez took this fight on two weeks' notice. Frankie Edgar was supposed to compete against Chan Sung Jung the, uh, the other night, and um, I think Yair Rodriguez was like planning a vacation with his coaches and whatnot. And then he got the call, decided to take it. Um, I think he went to, and stayed with Donald Cerrone in yeah. uh, Colorado to get used to the altitude, and was training for like ten days or so, and then fought. And oh my God, he looked. He looked pretty damn spectacular for yeah. the long break and long layoff that he had. We they had the big controversy with, you know, taking the Zabit fight and then not taking it and then getting cut by the UFC and then So I don't know this controversy. What is that? So Cuz honestly, here's my uh casual fan peeking out. <laughs> I don't I didn't know of him. I recognized his name. I don't think I'd seen him fight before this. So I think he won the ultimate the first ultimate fighter Latina the Latino um, American uh, the, the, the season for that. Yeah. He won that, and I can't remember what year that was, but he won that season, and he was on like a surge at featherweight, but winning against a lot of guys that he was that he should have beaten, like he beat Alex Caceres. He had a, a really good one over BJ Penn. Um, he knocked out Andre Feely with this crazy switch kick, that jumping switch kick. Um, you have maybe have probably seen the highlights, maybe leading yeah. up to the fight. Yeah. Um, he's got some insane win and just like insane highlight reel finishes and and kicks and just overall just insane highlights. And he lost to Frankie Edgar last year, a little bit too much, too quick for him. Um, Frankie Edgar was coming off the loss to Jose Aldo, I believe, and uh, they they gave him Yair Rodriguez, and everyone thought Frankie Edgar might be tapering off in, in his career, and Yair Rodriguez was on the come up. Yair Rodriguez didn't have the, the wrestling defense to hang with Frankie Edgar, and he got beat down. And he was off for a good while, a solid like year or so, probably working a lot on his wrestling defense and just maturing as a fighter, I'm guessing. And the Zabit fight was offered to him. And I'm not sure, maybe, he said it was something along the lines of that the money wasn't right for it and the location wasn't right or whatnot. And he said he would agree to here, but the UFC was trying to do it here. And then the UFC announced, or somebody announced that the fight was happening. And then Yair Rodriguez, I think he tweeted like hashtag fake news or something. Mm. And then Dana White said hashtag real news after the news came out that Yair Rodriguez got cut. So, and then they worked out something. I think Yair was being looked at by a few other promotions and the UFC and him worked out something. They scheduled the Zabit fight finally for UFC 228, and then Yair Rodriguez got injured. Um, but a lot of people were bashing Yair because he wasn't taking fights and he wasn't accepting um, the opponents he was being given. And he, you know, people were saying he was scared of Zabit Magomedsharipov. And I think a lot of that needs to go out the window <laughs> after all this. He took this fight against the Korean zombie who is extremely dangerous on two weeks notice less than two weeks notice and i mean put on a fucking incredible performance yeah. and chan sung jung put on an amazing performance too he was out for a year and a half before that he was out for like three years because of mandatory military duties for in south korea and he was he's been out for a little over i think like a year and a half because of injuries but he was supposed to fight frankie edgar he gets a, a completely different opponent in yai rodriguez 
And yeah, Chan Sung Jung initially came out as this guy who he his initial entrance to the scene of mixed martial arts, at least to the the hardcore and even maybe casual fan of MMA, was against Leonard Garcia at WEC, I think forty six back in two thousand and nine, I two thousand nine or two thousand ten. And it was just this contest where both of them were swinging from the hip, landing these insane punches, mm-hmm. rocking each other back and forth. And they call him the Korean zombie because he just takes insane punishment right. and will continue to walk forward and just stalk guys. But his technique was never good. His boxing technique has improved leaps and bounds because you even saw, I mean, his, he's got really good hands. And yeah. He's got good accuracy, really good timing. His boxing has improved tremendously enough to hang and honestly kind of uh, he technically outstruck guy rodriguez in numbers but it was an utterly fantastic contest i'm really happy that yari rodriguez actually filled in for frankie edgar because i think this fight blew the brakes off of whatever yeah. frankie edgar versus chansung jung would have been and yeah. it was capped off in the most amazing way yeah so i mean that let's get into the how it finishes so what did you think about I love camaraderie in this sport. Like again, I've I've said it over and over again. Like no, there's no need for excess drama. If you guys are friends outside of the, uh, you know, outside of the ring, and you respect each other, a handshake, cool. You fight while you're in the cage, and then you're friends once you leave. Like I, I actually appreciate that. But this was one of those situations again. Remember when Donald Cerrone fought Yancey Medeiros, and, and then they kept hugging, and seconds, you know, yeah. I was like, okay. And it, it got a little too much like that for me at the end, where now it, it was to Korean Zombie's detriment, right? Because he's quote quote winning. I mean, technically winning, I guess not in quotes, but he's winning. And then was it at the beginning of the fifth where they hugged it out? Yeah, it was right at the beginning of the fifth. They came, hugged it out, and then. But before that, they had did something too, where oh, remember because uh, K- Korean Zombie came in with the flying knee and accidentally need Rodriguez in the nuts. And it should have been a stop it or, you know, like a giving him five minutes, but the ref didn't see it. And then they, so they come back to the center of the octagon and Korean zombies kind of like pointing at him like, Oh, nut shot, nut shot. And the ref like shakes it off. He's like, keep going. And there was just a, a lot of that kind of stuff. Not a lot, but more than enough, more than usual. And it was like the sportsmanship was kind of getting in the way of a potential maybe KO. You know, like it, it could have gone in Korean Zombie's favor. And then, of course, last 20 seconds, you know, they're coming at each other like, let's go, let's throw down right now, which we all as fans love. Like I loved it. But we saw like it didn't work out in Korean Zombie's favor. And I just wondered if he was just a little more... Ah, not he was obviously focused, but you know what I mean. I don't know I even know the word that I'm trying to look for to describe this. But you're in a competition; you guys are killing each other, literally. I mean, like just vicious strikes, those kicks from Rodriguez all fight. Like finish it out. You're right here, dude. Just don't lose because you're trying to be such a comrade to the other guy that you're fighting. You know, the and then the craziest KO of all time. Well, I don't know if all time, I can't speak for that, but what do you think of it? One of the craziest KOs of all time. For yeah. Sure. But yeah, I was actually, I wanted to address that too, because we've talked about the camaraderie in, in instances where it's too much camaraderie. 
falling to the detriment of both fighters because it becomes like, all right, guys, stop. Like, I know you guys have respect for each other. You're fighting, though. And in this instance, in that fifth round, it was at the beginning of the fifth round where they, you know, they hugged it out before they continued. And then in the middle of the fifth round, I think it was either that or the, the middle of the fourth round, where Yair put his hands up and was like, all right, let's do this. And, you know, let's yeah, put his hands up. It and then mimicked Korean zombie. something that happened earlier in the fight. Yeah, it was, it was the same yeah. instance just about. And I was like, okay, cool. But in that instance, I was like, okay, right there I could see Yair was putting his hands up as like, Playing let's do to the this. fans, like, let's go, yeah. That, and it also seemed like Yair wanted a little bit of a break, and then the Korean zombie, and then uh, Chan Sung Jung was like, put his hands up too. And I could tell that yeah. they simultaneously were like, mutually were like, okay, let's, let's yes. take a little bit of a break so we can go ham in a minute. Right. And then they did it again with like 10 seconds left. And I'm like, guys, just fight. Yeah, and then yeah. when it happened, after, when the knockout happened afterwards, I wasn't even mad about it. And there are instances where, like, I, I thought Max Holloway, Ricardo Lamas, for instance, where they just, where Max Holloway is in the center of the octagon, points to the center, is like, let's fucking do this. It's quick. It's, 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 they do it quickly and they just start going. But Yair, he puts his hands up for like a minute. And then Chan Sung Jung's like, all right, are we going to go? What's yeah, going to happen? Yeah. And then they go. And then Yair throws this crazy combination, lands a kick to the body, misses a couple punches. And then Chan Sung Jung immediately after he misses those few punches comes back, rushes in with like a three-punch combo. Yair steps out of the way of the whole thing, ducks. And as soon as he ducks, Chan Sung Jung's overextending on a punch. He just throws this elbow. Perfect positioning for the elbow. Perfect timing. And landed right on the chin and knocked him out cold with one second left in the fight. I mean, you can't draw a more crazier finish than that. Yeah. Utterly insane. But in regards to the camaraderie, it's like I, once, once again, we're on the same page with this. We've talked about this in the past. When guys are buddy-budding with one another inside of the octagon every five seconds, like Cerrone and Medeiros, I like... I, I don't understand the relationship that those two fighters have in that moment, so maybe it's a little different seeing it from the outside perspective. But with that said, it's like you guys are still fighting, and you guys know your buddies. Yeah. Don't let the fact that your buddies take away from the fact that you're fighting and you need to win this fight. Well, and I felt like that could have been to Chan Sung Jung's detriment. Right. And to me, it's like I've said this before, and I'm obviously not a fighter, but if I'm engaging in a fight with you, there is a solid chance that one of us may die <laughs> i mean like yeah. we're literally hitting each other as hard as we can in the most sensitive parts of our body like our head our i mean like we i could hit you in the heart stop your heart like we could die in here so part of me is thinking like i need to be fully focused on that aspect and then when everything's done We've both earned each other's respect. Then let's hug it out. Let's go to dinner. Let's introduce each other's wives. Like exactly all that stuff. But like in here, we both might die. So I'm not messing with you. This is a this isn't a game. It's like as real as it gets. The, and I completely agree with that. And I think that's how it should be if you're going to perform at optimal level. Like I was rewatching the Israel Adesanya Brad Tavares fight, and they both had a lot of respect for each other. And Brad Tavares went up after the first or second round and tried to touch gloves with Israel, and Israel said, "No, put down yeah. your hand. I'm not doing that right now." Afterwards, we can shake hands. Right. And then afterwards, they hugged it out, and that's what you do if you want to perform optimally. But you know, in certain cases, maybe you believe you can, and then you lose. But you lose focus for that second, even if you don't think you're losing focus, and then. 
it, the, he just let it get away from him for that one second and let his guard down as he pushed forward. Because the whole fight, he never pushed forward that hard with the punches. And I know it was the end of the fight. He thinks, I'm not going to get knocked out right now. I've lasted this entire time. The last thing that's going to happen is I get knocked out by some crazy-ass yeah. shit with one second left in the fight. And, of course, it was like one in a million chance it happened. And I, I compared Yaya Rodriguez's KO to that almost of like a half-court shot with yeah. one second left and they sink it in but in this case it's a little bit different because of the setup and he, he backed right. up and he ducked for the punch and he threw it right it's, it was perfect timing and everything it's almost more like that the crazy stanford play when the band came on the field yeah for football it's more like that because you one so? the band should have never been there <laughs> two no one runs kicks back from that far back and three he missed every time ta- you know like everything went exactly right for them to win that game and that's more like what it feels like because everyone every basketball game ends with like a half court shot you know you get it in and then you shoot it yeah uh that was yeah, to the, me it felt like just insanity like who yeah. could have ever saw this coming that was the equivalent to this i would say because we've never seen something like this we've seen fights where they're stopped in the last second of the fight but something like that the level of ko that was that was just I mean, oh my God, Yair Rodriguez is insane. Just the diversity he has in his strikes, the the creativity of that elbow, and we've seen an upward elbow like that knock out people. Like, for instance, Anderson Silva is the most famous for doing it against Tony Fricklin before he entered the UFC back in like 2000 and 2004, 2005 or something like that, and that was one of the main upward elbow KOs I think we've ever seen. And then this takes it to a new level, not only because of the, uh, the, how, how important the fight was, but the way he set it up, the way he ducked, and then he's ducking, his body is completely forward. And then the way he throws the elbow up was just perfect timing, perfect placement right on the chin. I mean, it was insane. And Yaya Rodriguez... <laughs> I can't wait to see him fight again. Like, God damn, that was insane. So do you think, is that a move that you drill ever? I, I feel like that is. I feel like he's done that he before. He threw it with confidence and with mm-hmm. precision. Like, he's thrown... But, like, I would have never thought to drill that ever. But I feel that's something that, as a professional fighter, when you're sparring and you just throw it, like he's very creative in general, and he's learned a lot of different. Techniques. I feel like he's one of like a select few that would know to drill that particular move. You yeah. know, I feel like no one's even ever thought. Yeah, I'm going to be in a position where, when the exchange is happening, he's coming at me. I'm going to duck and then throw my elbow up. That shot will be there. Like, no, I've never thought of that move. I've never seen that happen before. I think the move would be comparing it to like that of like the showtime kick or Anthony Pettis is using the cage yeah. and jumping off. And I don't think that's necessarily drilled. I feel like that's something that he might throw here and there and sparring and just might kind of work on it on him by himself. Be like, if someone's coming out, you know, back, 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 duck, boom. Yeah. Throw that elbow when someone's leaking leaping in way too much um but he's very creative when we saw those hammer fists he was throwing and just um there was one kick where i think he threw like a um like a spinning wheel kick and then came around with like almost a it was almost a question mark kick the way he like the way he threw it downwards but just had so much force on it and his kick game is 
Yeah, ridiculous. that was crazy. When he threw that double roundhouse kick, he like yep. threw a kick to the leg and then kick to the head. You're yep. like, how did you do that? How did you move your momentum like that? Mm-hmm. And everyone kind of forgot about Yair because he got beaten down by Frankie Edgar. And me, myself, I've discounted how good Yair Rodriguez really is. And to knock out Chan Sung Jung like that, I, don't, I think Chan Sung Jung's only been knocked out one other time in his MMA career. I want to say it was really early in his career. The guy can take punches like never before. Yeah. And for him to land that in the fashion that he did and the time that he did, absolutely insane. So we've talked the fight to death. What do you want to see next for Yair Rodriguez? I don't know. Because that's a he's he was ranked fifteenth and Chan Sung Jung is a top ten at uh one forty five. So he's going to break into the top ten now. Um who would you like to see him face? Let me, want to pull let me up the pull rankings? up my weather my uh, featherweights rankings here. <laughs> Your weatherweight. My we- yeah. <laughs> the weather outside is. I'm sorry. Um. Okay. What do we got? All right. We got. So he would be. Oh well, Zabit. Here's my thing with that fight, and while I would love to see that fight. How how old is Zabit Magomed Sharapov? I don't he, know. He's young in his MMA career. And Yair Rodriguez is like 26 years old. And they're both upcoming guys in that 145-pound division. I hate it when they match prospects up with prospects or upcoming guys with upcoming guys. I want them to take out guys that are ranked at the top above them and to rank up themselves. Yeah. And then once they get up there, then have them fight. But if you have them fight right now you kill off Yair Rodriguez or Zabit Magomed Sharapov, who are both on the rise and both very exciting contenders at 145, who might be... 145 is lacking really exciting contenders. Outside of Brian Ortega challenging Max Holloway, who else do you really have? You have Frankie Edgar, who I'd be interested to seeing him fight Max Holloway, but we saw what happened with Frankie yeah. Edgar and Brian Ortega. Jose Aldo, who has lost to Max Holloway twice. Who else is in that? Is in the top... Um, echelon at 145. I mean, Hanato Moicano is exciting. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what he does, but outside of that, who else is there that's exciting? Cub Swanson is on the exit, I believe. Yeah, he hasn't looked very good. Jeremy Stevens oh, who, is... Oh, wait, Volkanovsky got a fight with uh, Chad, Chad Mendes. Mendes. That's a good yeah. fight. That's a good fight. I'd see, that's, a, that's, a something, that's something I like. Chad Mendes has been up at 145, been there, done that up there. Volkanovsky is on the come up. Yeah. Let's match those two up and see what happens. Yeah. Um, and I don't think that's too much too fast for Volkanovsky because he's been very impressive. But I think when they matched up Yair and Frankie Edgar, I think that was too much because Yair hadn't had hadn't really faced a wrestler the level even close to a Frankie Edgar before. So I think you maybe do like Yair and Cub Swanson or something. That would be a lot of fun. Yeah. And that's a definitely a winnable fight. A top ten opponent for Yair to face. And um, you keep them moving forward. Although, all right, here's my thing. I don't know this. I'm just playing devil's advocate. Okay. But about the the fact that you don't like when um, two come-up fighters fight each other, what if they have an epic fucking fight that ends in controversy and it spurs like a John Jones-DC uh, kind of rivalry? You know what I mean? Where Where that'll be around for a while. Sure, but if once they reach their like dc and jones were both in their primes when they first fought okay, the first yeah. time so that I, I don't know matching prospects up i just don't like it because one guy gets killed off for a little bit and then the hype for him goes down 
rather than like an exciting prospect like Israel Adesanya. When you match him and Paulo Costa up, nobody wants that fight, but they do. You know what I mean? Like Paulo Costa's on the come up, and so is Israel Adesanya. Let's have them kill off contenders and then fight each other when they're both at the top of knocking on the door for okay. that title shot or something. That's the way I see it. Yeah, I think Yair is one of the most exciting guys at 145 with potential with championship potential. Um, if he can, you know, tighten up his skills a little bit more. But Chan Sung Jung is championship material too. I genuinely believe so. I just don't think he's had the experience recently because of the, all the layoffs. But his technique and he has the ability to knock off a lot of top guys at 145. He just hasn't had the chance to. But and for Yair to win in the fashion that he did and how competitive the fight was, that shows that Yair Rodriguez is potentially championship material. He's only 26 years old. Yair, I mean, uh, Zabit Magomedsharipov is 1 million percent championship material. Why kill him off? You know what I mean? While that could be a very exciting fight, there's no reason it won't be exciting a few years down the line when they're both even more polished. Yeah. So that's my understanding. I got you. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, what a fucking crazy fight that was. I I did not see that coming. No. Um, Not at all. It was awesome, though. I mean, yeah. And what a way to cap off like their 25th anniversary. Yeah, card. Like I said, in, in ways, Denver. in ways, in my opinion, it was very similar to the last WC card, where it was capped off by that insane Showtime kick from Anthony Pettis, and this, in a way, was just so. I did not expect this at all, yeah. and when it happened, I literally jumped off of my seat and screamed at like one a.m. Probably yeah. woke up some neighbors, <laughs> but it was worth it, man. Yeah. It was awesome. It was amazing. So then we had uh, Donald Cowboy Cerrone versus Mike Platinum Perry. In the fight before that, the co-main event. Um, interesting backstory with Cerrone leaving his previous gym, the uh, Winklejohn gym or camp, and uh, Mike Perry taking almost kind of taking his place in a way in that camp. And so there was a lot of bad blood. At least, I don't know so much between Cerrone and Perry, but it was Cerrone versus the camp. Yeah. And then Mike Perry kind of just being a... A side effect of it um i was excited for this fight coming in like i was i was really interested to see how this was gonna go i mike perry's a hateable dude but i really like him i like mike perry's tenacity yeah i like his i like his style because it's exciting no matter what you're probably not going to see mike perry in a boring fight yeah and he's a very controversial figure with the way he is in his persona but me and you have both said this many times. We like to take their personas and their person, who they are as a person, take it completely out when they're fighting because we want to judge them completely on their abilities alone, not who they are as a person. So watching Mike Perry fight, he's fun as hell to watch. Yeah. He has some insane knockouts. Um, he's a very likable fighter while he's in the cage fighting. I don't, I don't see Mike Perry in a non-exciting fight, and this is no different. Yeah. Yeah, well, even in the outside the fight, or you know, outside the ring, he's still fun. <laughs> his personality, he it was it was interesting to see the play between him and Cerrone because remember at the press conference, uh, we were all trying to read into like what does this body language mean? What does this little tick mean? Remember that? Remember uh, when Cerrone came out on stage to do this the uh, face off? He kind of walked up to him nonchalant with his little feather in his cap and. You know, put his hand out. He was like, "Hey, man, we're gonna fight. We're gonna have some fun, or what, man? I'm I'm here to be cowboy." And um, you know, Mike Perry is being Mike Perry. Yeah. You know, and 
I was like, man, I don't know. Like to me, it didn't look like Cerrone. It it almost looked like Cerrone was like um, thrown off a little bit. Like it didn't seem like this. That's the guy that's going to win the fight. You know right. what I mean? And I've been proven wrong, obviously. Because and I, what am I thinking? Like going against Cerrone. Like yes, he hasn't consistently won, but he he's a solid, solid fighter still. Like he's just a little older, and that's all it is, you know. He just broke with this win. He broke the record for all time wins yeah. in UFC history. He yeah. also broke the record for all time finishes in UFC history, yeah. which is crazy to think about. Right. And we talk about the fact that, and it's been more recently than not with Cerrone being this guy who just kind of goes in fights and does his thing and, you know, is he's Donald Cerrone and he is who he is and he's not going to win a championship and he's just going to fight tough guys and win some and lose some the rest of his career at this point. And that's the way it's been for the past couple of years. He had that really good surge at 155 and uh, eventually lost to RDA but um, and then went up to 170, had a really solid surge, was won like four fights in a row and then lost three fights in a row. And it seemed like for a little bit he was content with being the guy that gets thrown off by, you know, the top guys rising up, like the Leon Edwards, the Darren Tills, um, who he lost to Jorge Masvidal, Robbie Lawler, whoever the top guy is up there. He didn't really care if he lost or not. He just wanted to go out there and put on a good show. Yeah. Now it seems he's got a little bit different of an outlook on things. You know, he had a kid, and he was saying afterwards, you know, he he saw his kid with like his uh his his cowboy get up on and everything. He's like, nah, no one's taking food out of my kid's mouth. So yeah. everyone needs that little bit of motivation. And I could tell from him it seemed genuine because it really seemed recently like he didn't really care if he was going to win or lose. He's just going to go out to earn a paycheck. Yeah. Now he wants to go back to 155. He said, he, he said, let's go, Khabib, which I don't think that's a good matchup, by the way, right. for Cerrone. Anyway, but it's good to see that motivation yeah. and that fire and desire come back for Donald Cerrone. And it really showed in this fight because I genuinely believed he probably would have lost this fight if he didn't have that same motivation. Yeah? I, I think so because Mike Perry is a really tough guy on the feet. And Donald Cerrone is a very slow starter, and I think Mike Mike Perry had a lot of trouble dealing with Cerrone's reach, and Cerrone is a guy who isn't known for utilizing his reach as well. He was very patient, he was calculated on the feet, um, and then Perry made that ill-advised decision to shoot for that takedown, and he got the takedown and was immediately reversed and yeah. was schooled on the ground. Well, and, and then so the fight goes to the ground. We saw Mike Perry's lack of ground game, and Cerrone's... Uh, superiority on the ground, for lack of a better term. And it landed him into a pretty nasty armbar, which apparently broke Mike Perry's arm. I think Which so. had to be like, it had to be a minor fracture because, like, you yeah. can't see it. It's not hanging. And also, Mike Perry's like smiling after he lost, too. Like, yeah. he was like, man, you got me kind of smile. So, um, Whatever the case, Donald Cerrone even said, like, oh, yeah, I heard it pop. I was trying to tear that thing off like a chicken wing or whatever. And uh, so, yeah, like, it's it, he had that thing locked in. And I, I do think there was a little added, like, yeah, fuck you, because, you know. The camp stuff. The camp stuff. And then Mike Perry goes on to say, like, oh, yeah, we didn't drill jujitsu at all. <laughs> <laughs> Which was not. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, it's at this point. I am surprised when an MMA fighter isn't drilling a little bit of everything. I can't I can't believe that somebody would just disregard a whole 
subsect of MMA. Like if you 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 did everything else, but you just didn't do jujitsu, there what, are ten dudes that I could think of that would kill you in a second. Yeah, and not not just that, but also what if Donald Cerrone got injured and then Damian Maya comes sure. in or something like that? It's like oh shit, Damian Maya comes in on seven days' notice and I've done zero jujitsu. Yeah, but why wouldn't you drill jujitsu for Donald Cerrone? Yeah, and this is the thing that baffles me: if they didn't drill jujitsu. This is Cerrone's former camp. Right, that's they what I'm saying. They yeah. know how good he is on the ground, and they know how maybe not skilled Perry is on the ground. Why wouldn't you drill mainly jujitsu right. just in case it does hit the ground and then prepare for Cerrone on the feet? Right. I mean, I'm not a fighter, so what the hell do I know? But that just makes sense to me. Right. And this reminds me, when you talk about disregarding things, it's like when Conor McGregor was saying, we didn't drill any striking for Habib. It's like, why? I know Habib's not known for being a striker, but why wouldn't you at, at all? You know what I mean? It's yeah. just like, you're in a championship fight in this case. Yeah. Why wouldn't you drill in one specific area at all? Especially, especially in this Mike Perry, Donald Cerrone case, where you know you're at a significant disadvantage if the fight hits the floor. You might have an advantage on the feet. It's pretty even on the feet. You guys are both good over there. You probably got the knockout power over Cerrone if you can close the distance and land those bombs. But Perry had trouble closing distance, and Cerrone was doing a great job of um, landing strikes from the outside. When the fight got in the clinch, he was landing good knees. Perry tried to return with some knees but wasn't landing as effectively. Fight gets to the ground. I'm not... I feel like Mike Perry shot for that takedown maybe out of a little bit of not necessarily desperation but frustration that he couldn't land those strikes on the feet that he wanted to. And I just don't think... I mean, he got right to side control. I was like, okay, that's good. And Cerrone swept him immediately and got into side control. Eventually, Perry got on top of him and then left his arm right there for the taking. And mm-hmm. Cerrone he did it like that a G. thing up, man. Yeah, Cerrone's got real slick jiu-jitsu off of his back. And, and, and Mike Perry attempted to defend it, too. He did, It was yeah. like he, he walked around to relieve the pressure on his arm, but just didn't finish. Like, it didn't make it all the way around. I couldn't yeah. understand why he didn't continue get to out. rotate. Yeah. yeah. Hey, I don't know. I'm, Unless it had already popped or already broken by then. I don't think it already popped because he was in that position for a little bit while Cerrone was pulling. And then yeah, and then Cerrone really remember when he took his head off the mat yeah. and it was like You know, it could be the case of not drilling jujitsu and yeah. not knowing fully what to do in that instance. Maybe yeah. they haven't gotten to the full escape yet. He's only he only knows some of the escape. Yeah. I don't know. But he didn't. And uh, you know Perry lost. Yeah, but it was a great performance from Donald Cerrone. Uh, it was it was awesome. It's refreshing to see sort of a new outlook from him moving forward. A uh, bit of a new motivation. I'd love to see him go back to 155 and be competitive with those top guys again. Um, and I, I, I want to see fighters who compete and are looking to accomplish things. You know what I mean? Not people who are fighting just to fight for a paycheck and just because they're Donald Cerrone and yeah. they have skills and they're doing and they're basing their entire career just off of their current skill set. They're not really aiming for anything. Yeah. Now that Donald Cerrone seems to be aiming for something, he's got a goal, he's got a mission, he's got a motivation. I'm interested to see what he can do at one fifty five. But yeah. I don't think he becomes champion at one fifty five. I just there are too many killers at 155 right now. And it's even more of a shark tank than it used to be when he so he used to fight at 155, correct? correct? When was that? Like, how long ago? His whole career, he's fought at 155. So he, only recently he was 170? I believe so. I believe he jumped up to 170 in 
think it was like 2016. Okay. I want to say that's when he jumped up to 170. Because I was looking at him last night, or the night before last, and um, I was like, damn, he's going to get to 155 now. And like, age is just a number. And in this sport, you could fight until you're 40, 42. You know, like it really doesn't matter that much. It's all about how well you take care of yourself. And I can tell he does take care of himself, but it's like, where's that extra 15 going to come from? You know what I mean? Like that's going to be, it's going to be a, a nasty weight cut, which oh, if, if he's been 155 his whole career, then maybe it's just business as usual. Yeah. But man, dude, like, yeah, I don't know how he'll be going back down to 155 and depleting himself a little bit more. Maybe he needs to, maybe he's a little out of shape for him, for his usual self. And he wants to cut down a little bit more and then begin his cut to 155. Um, but I don't know. We'll, we'll see what happens, but he's competed like his entire career. I think before 2016 at 155, and he had a lot of success there. He only lost the top guys, but, um, and apparently Don Cerrone's, um, notorious for dealing with like anxiety backstage and whatnot and going out and performing at optimal level. And, uh, apparently he's getting over that. So he's saying, and so reports and whatnot. So that's great for him. And it seems like he, it seems like he wasn't as anxious out there. He seemed very comfortable. He seemed to take it all in and an instance where this could be do or die. It's on the 25th, uh, anniversary, uh, show and he's fighting Mike Perry, who's a killer. Um, and you got all this animosity between the coaches, and it just seemed like he had a newfound motivation. So yeah. great for Donald Cerrone. Yeah. Um, the fight before that. Oh, real quick. Yeah. Who would you want to see him fight at 155? Ooh, I don't know, dude. Get back to the rankings. Which, what do we got at 155? <sighs> so he's lost to Anthony Pettis already. Oh, man. Thank you, Donald Cerrone versus Justin Gaethje. That would be so much fun. Yeah. Oh man. Can he just jump the rankings like that? Yeah. Yeah, he would. He was top five, top seven before he left. Well, I think when he left, and uh, I think when his last fight happened at one at a uh, one fifty five, it was a title shot. Yeah. So that was his last fight at one fifty five, okay. and then he jumped up to one seventy. So yeah, he would fall right top ten easily. So yeah, I would. That Justin Gaethje fight sounds that would be crazy. Insane. I'm down with that. Please. That'd be amazing. And then for Mike Perry, anybody. I just, I, I, I'm. If Mike Perry's fighting, I'm just going to tune in. Same. That's all there is yeah. to it. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So the fight before that was uh, Raquel Pennington versus Jerrine Duranami, which, again, is a name I've heard for a while, but actually haven't been able to see. Is Jermaine Duranami is who I'm talking about? Jermaine. I've Durandamy, seen Raquel yeah. Pennington. Her last fight was against um, Nunez, Nunez yeah. and that was that when she told her coaches like i'm done and they still made her fight yeah which might have had sort of an effect on her i don't know if it was that or just the beating she took from nunez maybe it's a lack of confidence stemmed from that fight heading into this fight um i think the commentators were talking about her wanting to retire soon and that could definitely have a factor on your mental game going into a fight like this she just didn't look and she's She's always been a solid fighter, right? So even against Amanda Nunes, she was really tough. Um, she took a lot of hard shots. She's got a good chin, um, and uh, she's very tough. And she's got she's had some pretty good wins throughout her career. But it just didn't... I think her record is now 9-8. and eight, And I don't know how... Not to knock off her skill set or her 
her career as a fighter or anything, but I'm not quite sure how she got a title shot, if I'm being honest. It just didn't seem like she was there. I don't know. I I felt that Jermaine Durandamy was outstriking her. I mean, she was easily outstriking her the whole fight, landing yeah. virtually at will. There was a really solid counter one-two combination. She landed, I think, in the second or third round that stunned her. She, I mean, just dominated her on the feet. And Raquel Pennington, every takedown she attempted was stuffed. And well, and it was like her strategy was go for the take, but like her, the angle she took, they always ended up against the cage. It was she never got the chance to fully follow through with the takedown attempt. It felt like no, and that's her fault. The fact that I mean, she didn't switch up the way she shot. She didn't change. Like she, it just seemed like everything was like a a double leg at the hips transition to upper body in the clinch to the cage. Yeah. And just over and over and over again. And when you do that against the Muay Thai fighter who has a really good base, very good takedown defense in the clinch, you're not really going to get any trip takedowns against Jermaine Durandamy if you're Raquel Pennington, who Raquel Pennington doesn't really have great wrestling. I mean, she's got decent wrestling, but nothing extremely good. Yeah. And she doesn't have an excellent double leg. She's got decent hands, but I just... Nothing about this fight was exciting, if I'm being honest. No. The moments where Durandamy was dominating on the feet was the only exciting part. And Durandamy is to blame for the lack of excitement as well, because once it got to the cage, she had trouble separating. And she was defending takedowns very well. She clearly won the fight. There's no question about it. Right. But every time it got up to the cage, nothing really happened. It was just Raquel was pushing, putting the pressure on her. And Durandamy didn't really have an answer for separating and disengaging from the clinch. My problem was like with Paul Felder, though. Paul Felder was like, I'm not sure who's winning this fight. Oh, really? I think <laughs> I so. I didn't hear that. Because um, it was like Raquel's putting on, uh, putting a ton of pressure on her and whatnot, and Durandamy's landing strikes, but she's getting pressured. It's like, it, it's not even close. Durandamy was dominating the fight. And I just, I don't know if the fact that Raquel Pennington's thinking retirement soon had an effect on her or if the just the Amanda Nunes fight itself had an effect on her. Yeah. But she didn't look very good in this fight. And she's, I think she's better than what she showed against Durandamy. I think she's a better fighter than what her 9-8 and eight record shows as well. It just didn't look like it. Neither yeah. Night. And Durandamy looked good, but... She just looks so much bigger than her. And I just looked yeah. up the, the difference in height. Uh, Durandamy only has uh, two inches honor height wise uh and and the reach wasn't that drastic of a difference but when you see them in person it was like god damn she looked like she could hit her from across the cage and it it was like pennington just couldn't figure out a way to get inside that reach yeah and um i agree every time she tried she got hit with that jab that was snapping her head back and throwing her off balance yeah it was it was not a good matchup for pennington for sure no not Um, at all and durandamy is actually from she fought. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Well, she fought Holly Holm at UFC 208 in the beginning of 2017, and she won by a very controversial decision for the inaugural UFC featherweight championship. And then Chris Cyborg was supposed to fight her. She never wanted to fight Cyborg. For uh, she claimed it was because of the fact that Cyborg Cyborg is a known steroid user, and everyone has their own you know, opinions on whether or not that's a valid reason to not fight her or whatnot. But she didn't want to fight her, and that uh-huh. was her decision. She left the belt alone, um, and she kind of disappeared for a while. 
And she said that, uh, yeah, I think she had a lot of hand problems afterwards. So she's been out for a very long time, nearly two years since her last fight against Holly Holm. And I mean, now that she's back and hopefully she can fight consistently, I think she could be in an actual like fun matchup for Amanda Nunes at, at 135 yeah. whenever Amanda Nunes comes back after fighting Cyborg. And I think she's an exciting addition to that addition to that division once again. Yeah. Because that division's kind of lacking right now. Yeah. Yeah, that would be interesting to see. I mean, what happens if uh Nunez wins this one forty five title though? I don't know. But there's not really a one forty five pound division. So what although they'll probably just do a rematch or something, depending yeah. on how the fight goes, that is. But if she beats Cyborg, she's a double champ now, which yeah. is like I feel like just the eighth double champ. <laughs> right. But it'd really be like the third, but she beat Cyborg. She's now two weight champion, so she has a choice to fight. I mean, I I'd say if Nunez beats Cyborg, which would be insane if she does, you fight Holly Holm next. Whether that's at one forty five or one thirty five, you could do either one. I believe. Um, and then you got Duranami up there at one thirty five, and I don't. It's like the the hundred and thirty five pound division is a thing, sort of. And then the 145 pound division is just like two, three fighters, and then two girls who fight at 145 and 135. Yeah, dude, I don't know. This this thing's such a mess right now. You know what I want to see is a heavyweight women's. <laughs> yeah. Have you seen that girl Gabby Garcia no. before? Yo, she's a tank. Have you seen her, like, dude? What she's, weight class is she? I don't even know. She just fights. She fights in Japan. She fights like these random. Is women it the girl with the blue hair? Does she have uh, blue hair? I don't think so. Oh, okay. She's got dark hair, and she looks terrifying. Oh, she's okay. huge. I mean, she's huge. Muscular? Very or like muscular. Fat? Yeah. Okay. Muscular. And she destroys girls, but just destroys women who are much smaller than her. Uh-huh. And it's like this weird, controversial type of thing where why is this being sanctioned? But it's <laughs> yeah. Japan, so no one really questions it. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a, it's a little interesting. But that's yeah. like the one woman, I can, one woman I can think of that's really big and is a... A female fighter. Yeah. I mean, that's that's all I got to say about that. Um, on, move on. I mean, the rest of the card is just kind of... The rest of the card, we'll just... Say. I mean, highlight it. Uh, Macy Barber made her UFC debut. Fucking cut Hannah Cypher's face up with those elbows. I mean, she was vicious on the ground. Macy Barber was. Hannah Cypher's, I've never seen her, never heard of her before. It's the first time she's fought in the UFC. Oh, okay. Yeah. Where is she from? Uh, not sure. She was, uh, they were showing some highlights of her from another promotion though. I want to, because the highlights were from another promotion, I'm assuming the promotion is owned by the UFC or something. Okay. Maybe it's like one of those fight pass promotions okay. that they show. So she looked okay. Yeah. Cyphers looked okay. I felt like it was actually a pretty decent, um, decent fight up until the very end. Like I, I, I Cypher seemed like she had enough power to where she could have just landed a lucky shot and ended the thing. Yeah, I agree. At any moment. But Macy Barber just, she just was better. It's crazy that Macy Barber's only 20 years old because she's very skilled for, I mean, in every category, it seems. In the clinch, on the feet, on the ground. Yeah. Ground and pound wise. I mean, those elbows she was landing were fucking vicious. Yeah, they were. And she's a contender series girl. Yeah. So very similar to the finish she had on the contender series. I saw highlights of her there. Um, she's five and zero in her MMA career, and I mean her performance was outstanding. The one thing I would like to see from her moving forward is head movement, and 
she she just looks like she could be, be hit pretty easily. Mm-hmm. If someone's her size and range, she's probably going to get touched up a little bit because she tends to leave her chin up in the air a little bit. Yeah. She's got very good striking, but that defense just probably needs a little bit of work. She's 20 years old, though, so I think she'll work on it. She's one of she's very exciting in this division, so I'm looking forward to seeing her move forward in that division. It's the strawweight division, right? Yeah. Yeah, she's, she's going to be a force one day. Like, I'm not sure if it's going to be now or very near future yeah very well could be in the very near future because of that the just the i don't know i feel like women's talent is increasing a ton as time moves forward and she's one of these girls who's learning everything as she goes and taking everything in very well yeah just applying it immediately and just like we're seeing the new generation of fighter coming in in the men's you know divisions she is that new generation of of women's fighter who her whole life she's had women fighter role models to model after she's seen the way women's fighting works now where before her the women's generation that was before her didn't have that there was no women's ufc fighters you know and so yeah i mean not that she's that young but you know she's young enough she's 20 so when ronda rousey made her debut in what like 2000 when did Ronda Rousey make her UFC 12, debut? 13? Was it 12? I don't know. I'm guessing. 12, 11, 13. If that's the case, Macy Barber was like 12 or 13 yeah, years old. So She's only 20. So she has been learning since from the get-go. I'm yeah. sure she had some martial arts training when she was a kid. And then she con- continuously progressed as time moved forward and was watching women's MMA as time progressed. And she's advanced with the times. She's yeah. very well-rounded. And she's going to continue to polish her skills in every single area. So. Yeah. I'm looking forward to seeing what happens with her. I'm interested. She's got that plan to be the youngest championship. She's got her uh, timer on her phone of the date that she has to win by to be the youngest UFC champion ever. The youngest is John Jones, right? Is it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, she has that long to go. And we skipped over the Benil Darouche fight because it just wasn't... Yeah, I'm just going through the highlights of the bottom because... Nah. Uh, Michael Trezano. Damn, man. I haven't seen him fight before. He won the Ultimate versus, Fighter. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I think it was the same card that Israel Desanya fought Brad Tavares on. I think that was Ultimate okay. Fighter card this year. Okay. And he fought Luis Pena, a.k.a. Violent Bob Ross. <laughs> uh, man, I like, I like Pena a lot. I was kind of... It was like he... I don't know what. I, it would kind of seem like he was in his own head. Like I feel like he had the reach advantage. He... He has the skills. It was like he just wouldn't unload. And Trezano, man, was just looked so polished that night. You know, like I, I just felt like, I mean, he great, great boxing, great stand up. I mean, I don't know, man. Yep. I, I was, I was, I was disappointed with Pena's performance, and now I'm like real high on Trezano too. I'm like, damn, who's this guy? Well, Pena was, I think, the favorite to win that Ultimate Fighter series. They were both in the same one, and then he got injured. So Trezano fought. I can't I can't remember who he fought. Um, but he was a guy who got cut from the UFC afterwards. I don't know. He didn't get a contract. He probably should have. But, yeah, he... Um, so Pena was favorite to win that season, so that's why they matched these two up. And I like the matchup. And like you said, it just seemed like Pena couldn't pull the trigger. I'm not sure if it was something in his head. He was throwing that same lead uppercut, left straight combo over and over again. Wasn't really having much success with it. And I felt like he could deliver more on the feet. I feel like he has a bigger arsenal on the feet. I'm not sure if it's due to uh, maybe some... 
maybe like you said, something was in his head. I just feel yeah. like I know I was a little perplexed by the scoring because someone scored it, I think, at 30 27. I thought Pena definitely won that second round. And I thought the fight was a little closer. It was a split decision, though, I think. But um, I don't know. I, I thought Trezano won for sure. His boxing was impressive. Um, it, he wasn't as flashy as Pena made out to be, but he was able to land much more efficient combos than Pena could. And Pena just had trouble gauging the distance and landing the jab or establishing anything. And he had some success on top of him, took his back in round two, landed some good ground to pound. But I just felt he was getting frustrated because he couldn't manage that distance and find the range on the feet and then yeah. shot for takedowns. And Trezano defended well and did pretty well there, too. Trezano seems very well-rounded, um, landed some good punches throughout the fight, and overall did more to win the fight. So mm-hmm. I thought it was a good performance from Trezano. Yeah. And these, I are, mean, these are what, lightweights or featherweights? Or um, I want to say featherweights. Are they featherweights? But no, it's got to be... I feel like it's lightweight. Yeah, it is. Okay. 155. It's still... Man, Luis Pena, he's... He's 6'3", and he weighs 155 pounds. That's crazy. That is insanity. I feel that they'll both be pretty good moving forward. Oh, yeah. yeah. I'm not... I haven't lost any faith in Pena because of that fight. I just... I know that wasn't his best performance, you know? Like, I just... I don't know. I agree. But Trezano looked awesome that night, too, so... I definitely agree. I think this loss could really help Pena moving forward as long as it doesn't get in his head. Yeah. So overall, what did you think of the card? Main card because of those top two fights. That shit's like a nine for me. Nine yeah. and a half. I mean, if if I completely disregard those fights as if they didn't happen, like the um the Durandamy Pennington fight and the um the Benil Darush fight, I would give it a ten, like eleven, yeah. twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen. But it's because of those two fights on the main card were kind of stinkers, then I would I would say like a nine, honestly, just because of how good that main event was and the emphatic finish. Yeah. I mean, the Pena-Trezano fight was fun to watch. The Barber fight was fun to watch. Darius, not so much. Pennington, not so much. Cerrone, in context, I'm happy for it. And a lot of times, like, we watch these fights for the knockouts, but the finish happens so quick that I'm like, ah, I didn't get to see that fight enough, you know? I agree. I would have liked to see, would have liked to have seen more on the feet between those two. But then that main event, man, fucking damn. So, yeah, I'll give it, like, a nine. That's probably, that's easily knockout of the year for Yair Rodriguez, and it's probably fight of the year at the same time. So, it's really hard to knock that card off at all on the yeah. ufc's 25th anniversary card what'd you think of all the the cool production i loved stuff? it dude yeah. i love retro shit like that yeah. i mean even when they started using that that old logo this year like on a lot of stuff like their t-shirt came out with it on with the guy standing over the ring you know with his oh is that yeah he's I think like, his hands are up yeah yeah dude it's just because i as a kid i watched um like wcw and wwf when wwf was wwf and when Blockbuster was still a thing, and I was, <laughs> we went to Blockbuster. My mom took me there, and I went to the wrestling section, and she would like allow me to rent, you know, WCW videos. But then UFC, like two or three, was right next to it. It was in that same area, and like I just grabbed it, not knowing what it was, and it was like actual violence you know as a kid right you know it wasn't hulk hogan smacking somebody on the chest with you know 
an open hand, just barely making contact. These men were bleeding and teeth were flying out and people, and Ken Shamrock was in it, right? Back then, right? And Ken Shamrock was also fighting in WWF, I believe. He was an active fighter, kind of like Brock Lesnar today. And so I was like, wait, Ken Shamrock does this? He actually fights fights? Like, it was just a a mind-blowing experience for me as a kid. So, yeah, I've... I've watched the UFC since the very beginning and that logo, the fucking graphics, everything about it was like real nostalgic. So I liked it a lot. It was tight. That's cool hearing your take on that. Cause yeah. me growing up, I didn't know what the fuck UFC was until I remember one day, I think I was, I was really young and it was back in like 2005 when that Forrest Griffin, Stefan Bonner fight happened for the first ultimate fighter. I think that's when my, my dad, called me into the room and told me to watch i was like holy shit what the hell's going on here it's pretty awesome yeah and then afterwards i was like eh whatever i just watched football and basketball and baseball and i played baseball growing up and everything this is when i was probably like 10 12 something like that at the time and uh, as time progressed and i got into high school i got into the ufc i think it was like 2009 and that was when the ufc undisputed 2009 video game came out for i think the ps3 and whatnot so I really liked the game, and I knew who Chuck Liddell was, and um, I knew who Rampage Jackson was and everything, and vaguely knew of them, knew they, that this was a thing, played the game, fell in love with the game, watched some of the highlight stuff, and then I remember vividly what really brought me into actually watching it. It was Anderson Silva versus Forrest Griffin yeah. at UFC 101, and I didn't even get to see the fight. I was... Always watched ESPN highlights as a kid of baseball, and it was uh, it was a summer event. It was in August, so I was avidly watching baseball highlights. And then they showed Anderson Silva going into the fucking Matrix against Forrest Griffin, and yeah. my jaw literally dropped. I was like, "Yo, what the fuck yeah. is that? What is this shit I'm watching?" And I immediately felt I watched like every card after that, and just dove head deep into yeah. it. So. Uh, that's crazy though that that's nostalgia for you because i didn't watch that the old old ufc ufc one two three all that stuff until i was a fan for a few months and like learned about that stuff and learned about how the past was for the ufc yeah so it's interesting hearing your nostalgia with that because you saw it and that was the first time you learned of it was the old logo and everything but with me it's a little different vhs tape yeah on my little tv that had the vcr (laughs) in the tv itself And it's crazy that yeah. the UFC has come this far in only 25 years. Like, yeah. you think that's like, all right, 25, 25 years, that's it? Yeah. Like, you got to, people want to, and I've done my fair share of bashing Dana White over the years, but they've, him and Lorenzo Fertitta and all of them have brought this sport to a level where it could at times be comparable to the likes of the NFL and the yeah. NBA when the big cards show and, you know, really big Showtime boxing and everything. And the fact that it's only been, active for 25 years is pretty insane to think about yeah no it's awesome um but yeah so it was fun it was fun seeing that definitely a great card to have for that anniversary what um you got any news before we call it quits yeah so first things first that we should address is the champ versus champ fight that we've been kind of almost dreading not really wanting at least for me i didn't really care to have this but henry cejudo and tj dillashaw are fighting for the ufc flyweight championship so we know the news of demetrius johnson going over to one championship and ben Askren coming to the ufc we're going to talk about ben Askren in a second because there's some news with him too but 
This was really interesting to me because it seemed like the UFC was heading towards doing away with the flyweights. A couple of flyweights came out. And I think they were interviewed by, um, you know, some of these MMA podcasts and shows on YouTube and whatnot. And they said that they had been released by the UFC. And this was some of the lower tier light uh, flyweights in the world or in the UFC. And um, I'm really interested in one i'm wondering why this fight was scheduled for 125 i think you had brought up a good point that tj dillashaw wants to become a double champ and i and henry cejudo i guess is comfortable with defending against tj dillashaw he doesn't have a problem with it so um i think it's a cool fight but i'm just i don't know i'm i feel like the ufc is just throwing champ versus champ fights together now like it's as a new thing yeah it just it feels like the oversaturation of champ versus champ fights have made each champ versus champ fight less meaningful right. and valuable. Like the Cormier Stipe Miocic fight was cool. Now you got this Amanda Nunes Chris Cyborg fight where that's another champ versus champ. And now you got this TJ Dillashaw versus Henry Cejudo. Like, what the hell are you going to do next? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. What are you going to do? Well, Robert Whitaker versus Tyron Woodley next? Like, what, what's the point? And play it out. If we're getting rid of the flyweight division. Your hope is that Dillashaw wins, becoming the 125 champion and 135 champion at the same time, and then they just sort of dissolve that division, and then he just can call himself a double champ, and then that division goes away, and he, one man, has eliminated an entire division in one fight, right? Like, that's how it should hopefully go. But Cejudo's no joke, and they're at his weight. Not TJ's weight. And TJ's already, dude, so ripped at 135. It's like, how is that guy going to lose 10 extra pounds? To me, that sounds horrible. It made sense back in the day when he defended uh, against um, Garbrandt twice. And then he was like, yeah, let's do DJ. But DJ won, lost, and now he's not even in the UFC anymore. So that idea of Dillashaw coming down... And fighting at 125 is not that, to me, enticing anymore because it doesn't really matter. It's not the same matchup we thought we were going to get when we first started talking about it. And then if uh, Cejudo wins, <laughs> he retains the 125 title and then he becomes the 135 champ. He wouldn't. Oh, wait, one, no, 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 no. Okay, yeah, it's not for 135. Right. right. So he just... But he wins and he retains a title for a division that we're trying to get rid of anyway. And now your champion at 135 has a loss on his record, but he didn't lose his actual title. He lost his fight to a lower division. To me, if you're really, if I'm really being honest, if you're a champion and you go to a different weight class and you still lose, you should probably lose both belts. Because to me, as a champion, you're the dude. You should be able to beat kind of anybody, right? And... Well, not not. I guess that that's going too far. But you know what I mean, though. Like a loss as a champion removes you as champion in my mind, especially if it is as somebody at a lower weight class, a lighter weight class. They shouldn't be able to beat you, right? You're the king of a champion or a weight class that's much heavier than the guy you're fighting. You have to win that. If you lose that, you should lose your higher weight belt as well. I don't know. That's just me going crazy, but. No, that's not a bad take at all, in my opinion. I think that's actually a very valid take. Yeah. We're talking about it because, and we haven't seen that occur yet, right? Like every person who's 
been a champion in a, a weight class who's gone up. Conor McGregor and Daniel Cormier are the only people to do that at the same time with their belt and go up to a different weight class. They won that championship. So we haven't seen that instance where the champion's gone up to a different right. weight class and lost there, but then can go back down and like, oh, well, I still got this title. Yeah. I'm... I loved the idea of champ versus champ fights when it was like John Jones and Anderson Silva, when it was GSP and Anderson Silva, guys who were stables in their division. And everyone was trying to take them out. And Anderson had like at least eight title fights defended by that point. And John Jones was mowing through people. And GSP had like seven or eight title defenses too. That's when I want to see the champ versus champ fights. They talked about making Anderson Silva versus GSP for years, and it never came to fruition. And now they're just kind of doing it because they did it one time with Connor, and now everyone wants a champ versus champ fight. I'm just not feeling it too much. And you're right. Like, what are they going to do... If uh, if TJ Dillashaw loses, it's like TJ Dillashaw is the champ at a higher weight class, but he just lost to a guy who's in a lighter weight class. You know, style, and here's the thing: like that, that's how it's perceived by the outside person. Like Styles make fights, and I can see, I can foresee Henry Cejudo beating TJ Dillashaw and understanding it. But with somebody from the outside who's like trying to understand some of this shit and be like, "Oh, well, Dillashaw is champ at 135, but." He went down to 125 to try to win that title yeah. and lost, but he's still the champ up there. It doesn't make sense. Like I don't As know. As champion, you should never have to go down in weight either. I agree. And one of the things that, in my opinion, makes Anderson Silva one of the top pound-for-pound fighters of all time is because he cleaned out middleweight and then won like three or four fights at 205. He was probably one of the first. I think he was the only champion during his time to decide, well, there's BJ Penn as well, who went up in weight and eventually won the 170-pound championship but lost it and then kind of fluctuated between weight classes. But Anderson dominated at 145 and then went up to 205 multiple occasions and won like three fights up there. And he was one of the few guys to do that. And I always wanted to see Anderson go for the 205-pound championship, but he was big best friends like Leo Machida and didn't uh-huh. want to do it at the time. And then him and John Jones became buddies, and they didn't want to fight each other out of respect and whatnot. So like, there were instances where I would have loved to have seen that in the past or would have loved to see GSP try to go up and challenge Anderson Silva for that 185-pound belt. And we saw we saw BJ Penn do it. BJ Penn was a lightweight champ, and he went up and fought GSP, and that was a crazy super fight. It was awesome. And then McGregor fought Alvarez and tried to become a simultaneous champion, and he did it. But that didn't feel as genuine because Connor had just won the 145-pound championship, then had those weird fights with Nate Diaz. And they're like, here, well, you can try 155 now. Like I Back in the day, it was earned. Like It was merit-based, and it was fun to watch somebody who defended his title multiple times now try to go up and win another title. Yeah. But when TJ Dillashaw just won the title back from Garbrandt, and then he fights Garbrandt again, he's still got guys he could fight at um, at, uh, at 135. And Cejudo has people to fight at 125. He just won the damn belt. Why are you doing this super fight right now? Yeah. And I get it because they might be trying to dissolve that 125-pound division, but like you said, what if, what if Cejudo wins? I still want to see um, Bermudez. What, what's his name at uh 125 uh formiga are you talking about no no, no. the dude um not maybe it's not bermuda it's not Bermudez. he's got the blonde hair uh benavidez benavidez that's i still i i mean if we're gonna get rid of the division 
everything's like on clearance now. It's like a store closed. <laughs> you know what I mean? No, it, yeah, it's like then uh, make the matchups that we actually care yeah. about. Yeah. Let's throw Benavidez against Cejudo instead. I would rather watch that. Than... That'd be a rematch too. I think Benavidez. I think Benavidez won the first fight. I'm not sure. It was a really close fight. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, there's. I don't know, man. I yeah. I would. I'm a, if I'm being honest, I would have rather have seen TJ Dillashaw versus Dominic Cruz for yeah. a second time yeah. because that one needs to be run back. Or uh, Marlon Moraes. I mean, that's a fucking crazy fight yeah. against TJ Dillashaw. But if you're trying to you know, make more of a mainstream appeal, I guess doing advertising this as a champ versus champ fight yeah. would potentially draw more eyes. But really, how many more eyes is it going to draw? Yeah. I don't know. I'm not the big... It, 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 yeah. I'm excited, but not really. Ben Askren. What's up? Ben Askren's fighting Robbie Lawler, apparently, at the same card at UFC. And Dillashaw versus Cejudo was at UFC 233 and the first card of 2019. Um, and then I think Ben Askren versus Robbie Lawler is scheduled to be the co-main event, I believe. And I'm a big fan of that fight. I just think it's funny that Ben Askren called out almost everyone in that division, and Robbie Lawler was one of the few people he didn't call out, and this is the matchup they're making. Yeah. But it's a fun fight, and I'm really excited to see Ben Askren debut. Me too. I mean, especially against Robbie Lawler, who, man, it's just, that's one of those guys, I think I say it every time I talk about him, who, if I was a fighter, I would just be scared of him. Robbie Lawler is just scary to me, dude. And uh, Ben Askren does he even you know he talked about it in his little media scrum or whatever like i have that fighting style that's emasculating right i'm degrading you while i'm on top of you like you can't do anything i'm just doing what i want to you and just uh, my image of robbie lawler is the complete opposite of somebody who would let that happen to them not that he would have a choice if the technique is just superior then you're just gonna have to go with what happens you know and that's kind of what Askren's been able to do in his other uh promotions is just rail on people but i do i am interested in, in watching him fight ufc caliber fighters and damn what a fucking dude to put him against too like robbie lawler man i just that dude scares the shit out of me i don't know what it is he scares the shit out of me too yeah. robbie lawler's terrifying and watching that like rory mcdonald fight over god like how it, and i guess i mean to say that yeah i know that rory mcdonald fight is like crazy if Askren can do what he wants to do against Lawler, then I'm sold. Your boys, yeah. boys at 170 are in trouble. Yeah. In trouble. Except yeah. for Tyron Woodley because they're not going to fight. But <laughs> um, here's, yeah, I love the fight. And what you made a very valid point in saying that Askren just like dominates guys and makes them look like they're nothing on the ground where they're helpless. And Robbie Lawler's the complete opposite of that and usually doesn't let that happen to him. So that's what makes a fight really interesting because Robbie Lawler isn't a guy who allows that. He's got great takedown defense. And this could be a fight where Robbie Lawler is could just he could stuff takedowns and he could just dominate Ben Askren on the feet and knock him out. Or Ben Askren could have his way with Robbie Lawler and make him look helpless, sort of like Habib does to just about every single right. opponent, and how Ben Askren's done to every single one of his opponents outside of the UFC. And I'm also, like you said, very interested to see if Askren can do this to a top-level guy in the UFC. And I think Robbie Lawler is a very, very tough test for his first night out, because he was calling out Darren Till, and I think there were rumors that that fight was going to be made, but 
I think the UFC probably advised against that. Yeah, because that's Darren not, Till's probably still a hot ticket. He's a hot ticket, and um, he could be at least. And he's only like 24, 25 years old, and he's got a lot ahead of him. So they don't really want to put him against somebody who could be a very bad right. stylistic matchup and then completely throw off his hype for a good while. So they're trying to probably trying to match Till up a little more carefully. And um, this is a tough-ass test for Ben Askren. And we're going to find out right away if Ben Askren's the real deal or not. If you can get Lawler down and dominate him the way he's dominated everybody else, then, whew, yeah, man, 170's got to watch out. I'm signing up for folk-style wrestling the, day, the next day. I want to sign up for it now already. <laughs> I know, but I'm just saying that would be I would be completely sold on it. it yeah, well, I must we're, we're already sold, let's be honest. Yeah, I mean, watching Habib do what he does, I'm like, yeah, if I'm going to fight somebody, I want to fight him like that. Yeah. I don't want him to have any chance. I want to fucking throw him around, toss him around, talk to him while I'm fucking hitting him, humbling him, and then finish him with a submission if I want. If I want to. <laughs> you I know agree. what I mean? Yep. Like... Jesus Christ. Yeah. So, yeah. Like, I am, uh, let's, like uh, Israel Adesanya says, master all the styles. Be the style bender. Yeah. Master everything. That's That That would be my goal as a fighter, just to fucking master everything I can. Yeah. But, man, that's Damn. fun that's shit. That's exciting, man. man. I'm excited. Well, other than that, I really I don't have anything else. Yeah, we could talk about Floyd Mayweather and oh, uh, Tenshin yeah. Nasukawa or Nakusawa. I can't remember. He's a crazy-ass prodigy kickboxer a 20 year old from japan and i but i, I don't give a shit enough about yeah, it to, and it to fell talk through, about right? it for me yeah it fell yeah. through apparently floyd's probably just trying to create publicity and here we are talking about it right now yeah so it, 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 i don't even know where and god it's like when he his name pops up in in the mma realm it's like what's true what's not and it's hard to tell but like what i was seeing about the potential rules for that fight where like tension couldn't kick him you know what I mean? He couldn't use kicks or I don't even know. I'll, that was the only thing I saw. I was like, okay, I'm not watching this. Well, Floyd wouldn't all. Floyd wouldn't agree to any of that shit anyway, if we're being honest. And it's Tenshin Nasukawa is his name. Excuse yeah. me for the initial mispronunciation. Excuse Wow. Mispronunciation. <laughs> Threw your whole game yeah, off. There we go. That's, that's the end of the episode. I'm done. But <laughs> um, yeah, Floyd wouldn't agree to kicks because he'd get his head kicked off. Right. For being honest. So this it probably would have been a... Um, like a boxing match with MMA gloves. That yeah. probably would have been it, and yeah. that's no fun at all. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I just I don't know why Floyd is doing this. Floyd should, if he wants to make a paycheck, just go fight like Manny Pacquiao or something. Mm-hmm. I don't really, just don't, why would you go into MMA and get murdered? Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. And this whole Habib Floyd Mayweather shit needs to stop, too. Like, I think it, the, the talk has died off, so I'm, exci- I'm glad that it has. I want to see Habib fight Tony Ferguson. That's the only fight I want to see. Yeah. Um, aside from, like, potentially a GSP fight down the line. But just give me Tony Ferguson, Habib. Stop talking. Stop bringing Floyd Mayweather's name up. Yeah. And I'm... I'm done with that. Yeah, done. I'm done with it. I'm done with this episode. I'm done with the UFC. Done with it. We're yeah, never yeah. doing an episode again. <laughs> Bye, guys. <I'm> <laughs> no, that is all I got for you guys. So we'll see you next time. Yep. Peace. See you.